All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, would you open them to the book of Ephesians with me? Ephesians, the Lord put this on my heart. This week, we have been dealing with a series on the I Am's of the Gospel of John, but the Lord ordered this for this morning, and I try to be obedient, amen, to the Holy Spirit's leadership, and thank you for praying. And uh, I want to examine something uh, today, and I don't know that I'll be able to finish it this morning, and so we'll probably address the other part of the message tonight. And so... Uh, so let me, uh, let, let's uh, look at this, Ephesians chapter 4, and I'd like you to find your place in verse 17, Ephesians 4 and verse 17. The Bible says, Paul here writing to the church at Ephesus, it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth, and that's just a, an old English word that just simply means from now on. All right, from now on, from this time forward, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. And then look down in verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. True holiness. I, I want to speak to you today, this morning in particular, by asking a question, what is true holiness? What is true holiness? All right, let's pray one more time. Father, Again, I thank you, Lord, for the precious word of God. I'm so glad, Lord, that we here, Lord, we have a final authority for faith and practice. We have an authority, Lord, to help us, to guide us. And you said your word is, should be a, it is to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord, that we're not operating in the dark, but rather we are walking in the light. And Father, we need you today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be the preacher this morning, the teacher and guide. And help me, Lord, to say only those things that need to be said and leave off the things that don't need to be said. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, if you were to ask the average Baptist what is holiness, if we, if we just got five of them, I, I venture to say probably if I were to ask you all as individuals, what is true holiness? Do you know, I'm not sure that we would exactly get the exact same answer. And, uh, and what I mean by that, some people, you know, and particularly, uh, there are a lot of stripes of, of uh, if you will, of Baptists that are out there. You know, a zebra is known by their stripes, are they not? And I suspect that Baptists, there's probably more stripes of Baptists in the world than there are stripes on a zebra. And, uh, meaning, do you understand what I mean when I say stripe? Well, it's almost like what brand they are. And, uh, and it's not just by, if you will, by denomination, American or Southern or Independent or, uh, or there's some others, you know, that, that are out there. And, and uh, like a hard shell Baptist and primitive, I mean, there's all kinds of those names. But even within their group, those groups, probably we all don't have the same idea about what true holiness is. Uh, some people might, they might appeal to clothing or the length of a man's hair or, you know, I know some, I know some folks that wouldn't let me in their pulpit because I have a, I have a little facial hair or, you know, if you, uh, if you had wire rim glasses, you couldn't be in their pulpit. Oh yeah. And I, I yes, ma'am. I mean, it's just that away. And, and, uh, and so, so what's the bottom line for us? Well, here, here's something that we've got to come to grips with and we've got to learn as believers. You and I need to know the difference in three things when we approach our Bible. We need to know what is a precept, what is a principle, and then lastly, what is a preference? 
We need to know what these things are that when we hear them, we have the right response to them and toward them and appreciation for them. All right, a precept. To me, that's just black letter law. It's what, it's what the prophet wrote when he said, our learning is a little here and a little there, line upon line, precept upon precept. A precept to me is like black letter law that says, thus saith the Lord. It's really not up for debate. Uh, you know, and it's really not up for discussion. This is what God said, and that's it. That's so. Whether we believe it or not, that is what he said. That's a precept. A principle, on the other hand, is more like, if you will, a holy suggestion. It's sort of like in the Old Testament, or in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, that, uh, that said, you know, there's treasure and oil to be desired in the dwelling of the wise. Well, how did that guy get it? How did, how did, he, how did that, in that wise man, how did he acquire that treasure and that oil? Well, you know, if you think about it, meditate on it just for a little bit, obviously he must have earned it. And the other thing is he saved it because the latter part of that verse says, but the foolish man, he spendeth it up. In other words, he's just living from paycheck to paycheck. So what's the principle? Is it a good thing? Is it a wise thing to have a savings account? I think it is based upon that principle, but what if you don't? Does that mean you violated the scriptures? No, you're just not following, if you will, to me, a holy suggestion, and, and you might not have the best outcome should you have something rip, tear, break, bear attack, or whatever it might be, all right? And, uh, and so you might have those things to have to, uh, to deal with. So a principle, and there are principles in the Bible that when if you don't follow them through, it doesn't necessarily mean in every instance that you have sinned against the Lord. You just haven't taken his suggestion, okay? And what's the third one? I said the, a, a preference, a preference. You know, men say things, and women too, but men say things in particular from the pulpit, and they can say it very loud, they can say it very emphatically. Uh, uh, Spurgeon, in his book, Lectures to My Students, he called some of those men, their style of preaching, they were the pugilist. They were always fighting someone. I mean, they were, they were getting after it. You know, a pugilist is a boxer. And, uh, and that's how he described them. They said some were like the tailor's dummy. They just stood there like this, you know, and uh, had no expression, no emotion whatsoever. And, uh, and so, but some men, they, they preach with such dogmatism on some topics, on some aspects, if you will, of the Christian life. And sometimes... Their dogma is confused for doctrine. That's what happened with the Pharisees. They begin to add things unto what God said that God never said. But they said them with such dogmatism. They embraced them with such zeal. Remember Paul said, talked about those that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. All right? And so what happens sometimes then preferences are preached and taught and, and practiced where they, where they come across as being Bible doctrine. And beloved, they're not. Because a preference is something that might change over time. I mean, right now, Brother Graham is a Ford man. Maybe, I mean, that's his preference. But maybe one day he might embrace a ram. You never know, all right? And, uh, and so, but, my, but that's the point I'm saying, because, you know, beliefs like preferences, they change. That's different than a conviction. But we need to know these things. And, and the speaker, if you will, ought to say, hey, this is my preference. Yes, I like fishing, but I prefer, I prefer crappie fishing. That's the jewel of the sea. Crappie. I don't let those litter box fish in. My, when I had a boat, I didn't let them in there. I didn't like that slime on my line. Amen. Didn't like that stuff on the carpet in the boat. And uh, but a crappie, welcome all day long. All right. And so, but that's my preference. You may have different preferences, and you know what? You're not wrong to have them. So, so what is true holiness? You know, we know about what men say, and we have to sort of filter that through. Is it a precept? Is it a principle? Or is it just their preference? That's how you got to kind of filter things when you hear them. Because we want you, I want you to listen critically without having a critical spirit. That's a challenge. That is a challenge. 
But God wants you to God wants us to be embrace these things, all right? What did he say about the church in Berea? They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures whether those things were so or not. What things? The things that Paul was teaching them, that he was preaching to them. They searched the Bible, the Old Testament as, as they understood it and had it. That's what they searched to see whether those things were true or not. And so we've got to use those same filters. And I want you to listen. That's really, to me, being more noble. You're just going to search the scriptures. Are these things so or not? So I've said all that to say this. So, so we, 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 when we think about certain men and, and uh, their delivery or, or, and even some of their preferences, as you think back on that, the things that they like or don't like or whatever, you know, we, we understand a lot of times more about what men think, but really, but what does God think? That's the part we got to learn. We've got to learn to always, beloved, always, always, always. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm hesitant about using words like never about the time I say I would never do something. That's when I wind up doing it, all right? Uh, or I always do this. No, no, not always, okay? But I will say this always. We've got to elevate the word of God above the words of men. And that includes my words as well. And anyone that stands in this pulpit or anyone that teaches a class, the word of God must be first and foremost in what we do. And so, so what does God think about these things? Well, I'm glad you asked that, all right? It's right here for us. He's got this enumerated for us. And I want you to see these are the things that God looks at us as... As we what? As we put on the new man. That, that is, if you will, that's putting off the old man. That's that old nature that we carry around with us until the day we die or, or the Lord Jesus comes back for us at the rapture of the church. And, uh, and we get a new body at that time. But, but what are we supposed to do? Verse 25 starts it off with, with the, the very first thing, as if you will, that what God thinks about when he thinks about true, true holiness is truth. Notice what he says. Look at verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. I, I just want you to understand plainly that God hates lying. You know why? Because lying and lies is as far removed from his nature as darkness is from light. There is no lie, there, there, there's nothing but truth about our Heavenly Father. God loves truth. What did John write? He said, I have no greater joy. There in, in 2 John, I have no greater joy, or 3 John, correct, correction, 3 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in what? In the truth, in truth. God loves truth. And one of those things, go with me to the book of Proverbs. Look, keep your place in Ephesians. But go to chapter 6 with me, Proverbs chapter 6. I want to show you something. Proverbs chapter 6. And, uh, and look with me here. And look in verse 16. The Lord enumerates some things. He gives us some reasons, some things that he hates. It says, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. These things he hates. All right, and look what it says. Uh, that's verse 16, seven are an abomination. Look at, look at verse 17, a proud look. And what's the second thing? A lying tongue, a lying tongue. And that word lying there, actually what that means, that is a deceptive tongue. It is a form of lying that, that its goal and motive is to deceive. And there are people that are out there that are like that. And particularly for us, you know, as seniors, there's a lot of stuff that sometimes gets advertised on the radio and other places, television, that's all designed to put fear in the hearts of seniors. And some of it is just flatly not true. And it's a deception. They're trying to get something from us. They're not really interested in trying to help us like they say they are. And you say, Brother Ed, you're just cynical. No, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true, and therefore it's not true. And uh, and so so a lying tongue. Then look now. Notice what. Look down a little further in there. Look at verse nineteen. That one says a false witness. And here, this is someone who has distorted the truth. 
They're not trying to deceive you, if you will, in that strictest sense, but they have distorted it in that they might be holding something back. They're giving you too little of the truth and you're not getting the rest of the story. You're not getting the full story. It's kind of like when you hear about somebody and maybe they, they're talking to you about a falling out they had. What are you getting right there? You're only getting one side of the story. There's going to be their side, the other person's side, and then somewhere in between those two lies the truth. Amen. And, uh, and you got to get the whole story. If you have kids, if, you know, when I was principaling a school, uh, I would have to line them all up and they'd just look like little convicts right there. I'd line them all up in the office. I'd just take them one at a time, bring them, you know, and I wouldn't let them talk. I had the church secretary, don't let them talk because I don't want them getting their stories, you know. And if I thought it was really bad, I'd just separate them and I wouldn't make sure they couldn't talk to each other. What was I trying to do? I was trying to get to the truth. And so usually the last one that I brought in, they knew that they were in Dutch, all right? Uh, because they were the one that was the guilty party or whatever had been confirmed. But, uh, but, but you got to get the whole story. And so that, that false witness, a lot of times, they only give you half the story, only a portion of it, or they embellish it. What do they do when they embellish something? They make it bigger than life. They add things to the story. Oh, it wasn't just a dark night, man. It was a dark, dreary, I mean, they're going to give you all this stuff. And what, what are they doing? They're distorting maybe the urgency or the distorting the danger of it. And so God plainly, man, God hates lying. As a matter of fact, didn't he say that all liars shall have their part where? In the lake of fire. That's how seriously God takes lying and bearing false witness because it goes against his very nature. In the book of Proverbs, you can go back to Ephesians with me. In the book of Proverbs, a little bit later, it says over there, it says, buy the truth and sell it not. God thinks so much of the truth. Whatever it costs, get the truth. And then once you've got it, don't sell it. Don't sacrifice it. Don't trade it. Don't settle for a substitute, but hold on to the truth. And so when you and I are walking in truth, beloved, that means with some integrity on the inside and the way we handle our business and how we deal with other people honestly and so forth. Man, God loves that. And he says that's the real holiness that I'm looking for is when we are dealing with truth. The Bible says also about the Lord Jesus that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He will go on and say in John 17 and verse 17, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. What? Thy word is truth. So he just told me, he just took the whole Bible and just put his validation upon it that I can trust every jot and tittle, everything about it because God cannot lie. And he's, and he's not interested, if you will, in the lies of men. He may record their lies, and he'll record those things truthfully, like he did of the devil and others. But he himself, he loves the truth. And so, according to David, how does, where does he desire truth in it for us? In our inward parts. That means out of our very being, out of our core, if you will, is that we be people of the light, people of the day. That we, live, that we live a transparent life, not a secret life, not that hypocrite. You, you know the word actor? Have you ever looked it up? You know what it means? It means a hypocrite. Did you not know that? All them highly paid people out there in Hollywood, they're hypocrites. And you say, sometimes you see mother, and I am an actor. It doesn't matter if they're man or I am an actor. What they're saying is, I'm a hypocrite. That's what they said, because a hypocrite, what do they do? They pretend to be something that they are not. All right? And they're so far removed from the Bible, they have no clue as to what they're saying. But uh, our loins are to be girt about with truth. It serves as a protection for us. Now, I want you to notice something. Look, look there with me. Look in verse 25. Notice what it says. Wherefore, putting away... That's an I-N-G word, putting. And what that means, that, that tells us that this is supposed to be a continual effort. It didn't say put away, as in once and for all. But no, putting away. Not a, not a season, if you will, 
of line, put it away, no, uh, or, or over a circumstance or a particular situation, you know, I'm, a, I'm just going to tell a little white lie. No, this says putting away. This is durative, continual for the rest of my Christian experience. It's a warfare, particularly when we are called to task about something. It's when we're called on the carpet, when we have a responsibility and accountability that the temptation comes up and says, well, you know, uh, well, it's kind of like, you know, when something goes wrong and you ask somebody about it, hey, do you, do, were you there when that happened? Oh, no, I wasn't there. No, I, I, I didn't have anything to do with that. I thought, let me see, what day was that? What, what weekend was that? Let me see, where was I? Oh, yeah, that was the weekend. I, I don't think I was feeling well that day and I didn't go to church that day. I wasn't there when that happened. But let something wonderful happen. Oh, suddenly, man, oh, yeah, I was there. I remember that. You met, oh, yeah, I was there. I was, when he said it, he told me first. And I thought, yeah. man, you know, when things go bad, they're all orphans. But when things go right, man, they're all brethren. Amen. That's how it works. That's the human nature. But we have to fight against that and be truthful and just bear the consequences of what has happened. You know, even Peter talks about this a little bit when, in there in 2 Peter when he said, he said, what glory is it if you are buffeted for your faults and you take that patiently? When you've done wrong, and you're honest about it, and you take that patiently. It says, what glory for God is there in that? He said, but when you but when you do good, or when your good is evil spoken of, and you take that patiently, that's pleasing to, that's acceptable to the Lord. And you just take it on the chin. There's a great opportunity to lie, or a great opportunity to protest, a great opportunity to complain, and you don't do it. And you just absorb it and you move forward. Beloved, that's the kind of holiness that God is talking about. Now, you know what? That's hard preaching. Hard preaching is not being loud and hammering the pulpit and really getting on a hobby horse and riding that thing to nowhere. No, hard preaching is like, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Love them that do good unto that. Do good unto those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Or take it patiently when your good is evil spoken of. Beloved, that's hard preaching. Because those are the hard things that are to live and require that death to ourselves. It really does require putting on the new man. Because was the Lord Jesus guilty of any of those things that they had accused him of? No, he wasn't. Did he open his mouth? The scripture says he was dumb as a sheep before the slaughter. And he said to Pilate, he said, you couldn't do these things except my Father in heaven allow you to do it. Man. It is to be like the Lord. And that is, he is our example, is he not? Amen. Amen. He is our example. Put away lying every man. You know, true holiness, what that simply means, true holiness means walking in truth in everything that we do. I remember we went to lunch one time. This, we were living in Alaska, and uh, they had a, there were not many restaurants there where we were in Fairbanks, and we were going to lunch with uh, a lady. I worked with her husband. We were both air traffic controllers there, and so her name was Red, and I was off that day and we'd gone to a pizza hut. They had a buffet and if you were like, if you were, uh, I think it was four, wasn't it four years old that you ate for free. And so the waitress came around and said, what would you like? And we said, we're gonna get the buffet. And she looked at, at Toby, her little boy, and, 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 uh, and the waitress said, uh, and how old is he? And Red said, her name was Red, and, and Red said, oh, uh, Toby, he's four. And man, she had barely got that out. And he said, Mama, you know I'm six. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, man, the plug wasn't in the boat, brother, and we were taking on water. <laughs> and she said, well, Toby? <laughs> and of course, they had to pay that extra fee. But man, I, that might have been why they nicknamed her. I think her first name was Carol, but they called her Red. Maybe she embarrassed herself a lot. I don't know. But, uh, but bless her heart, I mean, Toby sunk her ship right there and uh, you know kids like Art Linkletter said they'll say the darndest things you know and uh, and you know why because they don't have any guile guile is when uh, is when we sort of cover things you know if you really want to know how things are ask an old person 
You know why? Because they've lived long enough. They don't, they don't really care. <laughs> I don't want to say that y'all don't care, but a lot of times, you know what, man? They just tell it like it is. If you're fat, you're fat, all right? And uh, they might tell you that. Boy, you put on a lot of weight, brother, or whatever it is. I mean, you know, and, uh, and, and the other person is a child. You know, a child. And uh, our son had, uh, was getting something done in the clinic in there in Alaska, and there was a row of chairs, and Debbie had taken him, and there was a, uh, like a, uh, uh, he was an orderly or something. He was in the Air Force, and, and he looked like, it sort of resembled a BB with legs. You know, kind of round like that, kind of like one of those M&M characters. And he was about that high, and, and Brian, our son was really, was really pretty small. Brian's only about five foot five now. But when, and I think he might have been four years old or five years old, and so she had him by the hand. And they're walking by that, by that orderly right there in his uniform, and he's sitting in that chair, and Brian walks by him, and he laughs. He said, look, Mama, that man's too short. <laughs> and he looked at him, well, that's the pot called the kettle black. You know, this little old guy, what, what was Brian doing? He was just speaking what he saw. Now, he didn't know that, you know, in, in good company, you don't say things like that. You might think that, but you don't verbalize it. That's the thing about children. The Lord said this, Blessed is the man unto the Lord imputeth no, uh, not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. I hope you have a friend like that in your life, that when you ask him a question, like, Brother, when you look at me, what do you see? That they can speak to you clearly about what they see and what they observe and that you could receive that because that's kind of a dangerous question, isn't it? That's how David prayed, Lord, search me, try me, see if there be a wicked way in me. Why he said that was because he could count on the Lord's honesty and that God wouldn't use any guile when he spoke to his heart about his condition or what was in his life. You know, Paul said this, he said, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, what Paul was saying was, he said, there are some people out there, they mishandle the word of God. They use it for personal gain or whatever they can get or to manipulate people, intimidate people. And he said, but I've committed myself to the conscience of every man that God through me might be a manifestation of the truth. In other words, that Paul wanted to live what he said, that the tongue in his head matched the tongue in his shoe. His walk and talk were not far apart. Hypocrisy so hurts the church. It distorts its message. It will, dis it will, it will discourage your children. It'll discourage your grandchildren for us to have hypocrisy in our lives. So that, it's no wonder God sees this as being just one aspect of true holiness when we embrace these things. Peter said, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and, that, and his lips that they speak no guile. And you say, well, Brother Ed, if I was honest with every person that asked me a question, I, I wouldn't have any friends. You might be surprised. Doesn't Proverbs 27 say that open rebuke is better than secret love? Do you believe the Bible? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are what? Deceit. They're not as they appear to be. Do you think when Judas came up and kissed Jesus, that he really meant it, that he loved him? I don't think so. But Solomon said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. They're being truthful with you, honest with you, no guile. That what? That they might help you to encourage you. Do your best in that, beloved. Do your best to have a life that is built upon truth. You know what? I, I know this. That, that you, you listen. A lot of times we're worried about impressing people that they, they don't like us already. 
<laughs> you know, they're not your friend already. You know, if they saw you on the side of the road, you know, they, they might not do anything. They might just say, hey, man, I, I, saw, I, saw, I, I saw Brother Mel over there. I saw Brother, I, I, they may not even use the word Ed, they, or, or brother. They might, hey, I saw Ed Choning over there. I saw Mel Graham over there. Wonder where his tractors are. Uh, look like he's having trouble. Well, he can manage, man. He can get out of anything. You know, we, we, we try to impress people sometimes who, who really are not our friends. And so the one, if you, want, if you want to try to win the smile, win the smile of God. Amen. Man, do those things like the Lord Jesus did. Always those things which pleased his father. That's how we ought to be. Let, you're liking this one so much. Let's go on to the next verse, okay? Let's move on. I'm not trying. It's hard to, it's hard to say amen when you're being pinned to the wall. I get that, all right? And this is easier to preach than it is to practice. But the Lord works on me with these two. Look, look at verse 26. Verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Something that interests the Lord, another aspect, another characteristic of true holiness is has to deal with not just truth, but also tempers. Tempers. Now it's interesting. When you temper something, a use of that word, when you temper it, you're actually increasing its strength. Is that what you did with the shoes? You'd get them heated up. Sometimes they got an oil bath. Sometimes they got a water bath. That has all something to do with the formulation of those atoms and molecules in that metal to make it steel or whatever you might be working on. But you temper it. But here, you know, so like some clever fellow said once, he said, it's fine to have, to have one, just don't lose it. Just don't lose it. You know, and, and let me put a balance on here before we go any further with this. A balance on that. Not all anger is misplaced. Hear me? Not all anger is wrong. And, uh, and you say, well, how, how, how do you, why do you say that? Well, because, you know, there is such a thing called righteous indignation. When the Lord went into the temple and cleansed it, he took a scourge, flipped those tables over, and he was whipping to get them out. Why? They had turned the house of God into a den of thieves, a house of prayer into a den of thieves. And in his righteous indignation, he got upset. And there ought to be some things that make us upset, some things that make us angry. Not all anger is wrong, beloved. Don't let your conscience beat you up about something. A conscience is a lot like an umpire. When, when does the umpire get involved in the play? It's when the play is over. And, uh, and do the, does the umpire always get it right? No, sometimes they make mistakes. That's why they've had to add videotape to baseball games. Those early umpires, I suspect, are rolling over in their graves, so to speak, you know, because they couldn't call them. Or that baseball, you know, we got so worried about some of those things, they had to add that. But, the, you know, the message is not about baseball today. It's about your conscience, you know, is not always reliable. So being angry about some things. God is very broad, like this Bible. He's very broad in his love, but beloved, he's very narrow in doctrine. And love does not tolerate evil. And it doesn't say that evil is okay. As a matter of fact, one of the signs of judgment is that they would call what? Evil good and good evil. Those things, they ought to make us angry. The lesson, the, the truth this morning is about our tempers the context here is be angry and sin not, all right? Be angry about the right things, but this matter of be angry and sin not, because let's think about it. Why, why, are, why do people get angry? Usually it's because things aren't going the way that they want. And it, it's just a result of our pride. I, Brother Mark and I were working on something. I'll confess this. We were working on something, and I, I had several little windows open, on, and I'm an Apple guy. I had several windows open on, on my Mac, and I was trying to get it to do something, and something was taken off, and I was trying to get it to stop, and I kept hitting the space bar, space bar, space bar, space bar, and I, oh, I was popping it, and it just wouldn't respond, and, and, I, and I confessed, Brother Mark, I said, you can see, Brother, I don't like it when equipment doesn't work. 
You know, why, why is that? You know, and I, I, I'm not going to ask you to confess what your hot button is, okay? But my, my point is, is that people usually get upset just because things are not going the way that they want. Either it was their expectation was not realistic and therefore it didn't go that way. All right, sometimes that happens. But most of the time, it's just when we don't get our way. That's why we get upset. And that's a condition of the pride of our hearts. You know, and some people describe themselves. They say, well, Brother Ed, man, I, you know, I, I, I just do a slow burn. I, I'm one of those kind of guys. I just, I keep it in here and I just do a slow burn. Well, how nice. You know, have you ever been around, uh, have you ever been around uh, a place where you didn't necessarily know? That's why they tell you the campfire, you know, you got to stir it. You said you put it out, you poured some water on it. They want you to stir it up because what? A lot of times there's some embers in there and all it would take is for a little breeze to come along, evaporate that little bit of water you put on there. Next thing you know, there goes a spark. And just like with all the drought we've had around here, it wouldn't take much to set the woods on fire around here. It just takes a little breeze to ignite that thing. So people say, well, you know, <clears throat> pardon me, I, you know, I, I, I just do the slow burn. I just smolder a little bit, you know, but that's all it takes sometimes is for somebody else to come along and just fan the fire, so to speak, or do something or repeat the thing that made you a little bit upset the first time. You know, and then, you, and then you, you're going to unleash on somebody. Other people say, well, Brother Ed, man, I don't hold a grudge. I'm, I'm kind of like the volcano, you know. Well, have you ever heard anybody say, boy, we really need a volcano around here in uh, Kerrville just so we can rearrange the topography? I really wish we'd have one of those. You know, yes, they explode, and then they're over it. Well, you know, tell that to the people out there in Mount St. Helens. Amen. Uh, you know, volcanoes do a lot of damage, and when we're angry and we're spewing forth, we can hurt a lot of people. Words are powerful. Wouldn't you agree they are? And they're kind of like that bullet or that arrow. Once you shoot them out, you can't get them back. You can't get them back. And it goes to that passage, brother, we were talking about. A brother offended is harder to be won, you know, than, uh, you know, than a strong city to be defended and so forth. Harder to be won. And... Uh, why? Because they've been hurt, wounded, usually by our words. By our words. And so uh, we've got to be careful with the temper, all right? The scripture says, you know, and, uh, you know, and I, I, I see this too. You know, children are not the only ones who are capable of throwing a tantrum. Have you, have you, ever, uh, have you ever seen an adult throw a tantrum? It, it, you know, when we're little, we wonder like, well, you know, when they're little and they do that, maybe in Walmart or some other place, and, and you're like, good night, are you not going to do something about that? You know, and, they, and the fact that they're doing that tells you that they haven't done anything about that kind of behavior, you know, in the past. They're probably not going to do anything different now. And, uh, and so, but kids are not the only ones that can do that. And usually, you know, when, when adults throw a tantrum, they wind up on an episode of Cops. You know, when I was a chaplain as a, on, on the ambulance and as a paramedic, I've seen a lot of people that, you know, uh, they, man, they just look so different when they're in jewelry. You know, they got their silver jewelry on, you know, and they're walking like this. Yeah. And I've watched a few of them like that. Throw a fit, throw a tantrum, do, do some silly stuff, put their hand or their head through a glass plate or whatever, do, you know, punch it to a wall and have their fingers all broken, knock their hide off. You know, and I, I told one young man, 21 years old, he got mad at his girlfriend, so rather than hit her, he uh, chose to hit the stereo and uh, he had knocked all the hide off here. And I told him, I said, I said, man, I said, uh, I said, you made a better choice. You're probably not going to go to jail today because you didn't hit her. You just hit the piece of equipment. And I said, but you know, there's just a one letter difference between the word danger and the word anger. You just can't let that get away from you. And we got to do that. And that's why, that's why the passage says, let not. 
let not be angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath let not that means we have a choice in the matter do you remember we're not going to go there but in the book of Nehemiah there was Sanballat and Tobias uh, Tobiah and there was Geshem and uh, those three guys they kept taunting Nehemiah and he was trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and do some things and they kept getting in his hair they were trying to, that's why those men had to have a trowel in one hand and a spear in the other they were building or battling and those guys were just egging on aggravating agitation vexing and they came to Nehemiah one more time and man they were going to try to come on down to there we want to talk with you and he'd had enough and he was man he was waxing hot and then then the scripture says but he consulted with himself he just took that moment if you will to kind of talk to himself you know you ever do that you ever talk to yourself ever answer yourself sure you do sure you have I have but sometimes it would be wise to do that before you open your gap I'll let your temper get the best. So it says, let not. That means we have, we have something to, to, if you will, to say about the matter, about the issue. Because, you know, James said this. He said, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to wrath. Correction, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? Because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God doesn't promote the righteousness of God it doesn't present it it doesn't manifest the righteousness of God when we have had a temper tantrum or when we're just you know if you're having to deal with someone probably now I'm preaching on this I'm going to everybody's just been so nice to us here I'm probably going to I'm probably going to meet the meanest man in Kerrville this next week I'm preaching this just to put me to the test and uh about this but you know when you're having to deal with someone sometimes it's just better to back away you know we can be right and then be wrong all at the same time I'm standing on the principle I, I'm standing on the principle but you can be wrong when it's all said and done because you've hurt your relationship with the Lord and ultimately with that person over here yeah but I was right Okay. You need to go back and make that right. That would be the greater good. But, you know, which is better for you to be right or to be right with your brother or sister? I'd say the relationship is more important. Amen? Amen. So we've got to learn to work on that. Notice what it says. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know, my home life when I grew up, was uh, and I'm almost done when, when I was growing up you know there was a lot of turmoil in our home there was a lot of fighting my I was not raised in a Christian family Christian home and uh, well, we didn't pray we didn't we didn't go to church on any sort of regular basis we may have gone you know like Easter time or maybe Christmas if there was a cantata or something and we would go for one of those kind of events so the very, very first Baptist church I ever went to I was a teenager and uh, my mom got invited to go there for a singing, and I thought the, I thought the baptistry had a, uh, it had a curtain in it, and I thought that's where the Ten Commandments were. They were back there. I'd watched enough Cecil B. DeMille as a boy. I figured that's where they were hidden back there. <clears throat> you know, I'd never read a Bible, didn't own a Bible, didn't own one when I got saved, and and so in our home, growing up as a boy, there was a lot of fighting. And when I would hear at night. And I would hear I would hear words, and then a door would slam, and then another door would slam, and then a vehicle would start, and then uh, my dad would be gone for two or three days. I seen him come out one time with a cut across his nose, and I mean, I, you know, it, and, and so for me as a child, I had what they said was a nervous stomach. I couldn't keep anything down. I would throw up all the time. I, I drank enough barium to float a ship. You know what barium is? That's that white chalky stuff that you stand in front of the fluoroscope. You know, they can, they can go through and count the buttons on your shirt or whatever, you know. It wasn't an x-ray, but you had to drink this stuff, and they wanted to watch that go down and, you know, it circle all around, go down the drain and go. I drank so much of that, and, and they just they diagnosed me with a nervous stomach, and really what it was, it was stress. I look back on that now. 
it was stress. That's why I couldn't keep anything down because I never knew when I went to bed if I was going to have two parents in the morning. You know, and even as an adult, you know, I'm in Bible college and my mom comes to me and, you know, she's all in a lather. And she'd been chasing my dad, trying to find out where he was, seeing who he was with. And she was about, probably by that time, she was probably about 60 years old. I felt so sorry. None of that changed. My mom did get saved. I'm not certain about my dad. But I'm just saying, that's the kind of home I grew up in. So when I got married, I told myself, and I talked to Debbie about it, said, you know, when we have a problem, or what, how, how I put it, I wasn't very tactful, I don't think. I'm apologizing, dear. No, I'm just kidding. I, I wasn't very tactful, but when I said, there'll be no locked doors. I said, if you lock it, I'll just take it off the hinges. And I said, I'm not going to bed angry. We're not going to do that. I said, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to get it settled so we can go to bed. But that, and I, you know, I wasn't thinking about God, didn't own a Bible, hadn't been to any marriage counseling classes. I just didn't want what I had at home to be in my home. You ever had some things drive you like that? I know some, I know some men today that they don't drink because that's all that their parents did and they saw what that did. And they, they've never been drunk once in their life. Never had a problem with it because they saw the results of it that changed them. Debbie, on the other hand, grew up in a home. They weren't necessarily Christian per se, but her parents didn't fight. If they did, they went into another room and they took care of it privately and quietly. And so Debbie always thought that her dad just always did what her mother wanted. <laughs> and so, sorry, darling, I wasn't that way. I wasn't that way. And so, you know, for us, it, it, it created some conflict. Like, why, why are we... Why are, you, why, why are you not doing this, you know? And this is how my mom and dad, well, they just didn't know. She just didn't know that they had disagreements. And Brother Roger calls them intense moments of fellowship. That's what he calls them. And, uh, and I have sort of adopted that phrase. But that's going to happen. But what you got to do, you got to get that thing right. Well, they got to come to me first. Where does it say that? Or, uh, and ladies, I'm sorry that we don't always know that we've hurt you. You know, when I was in school, I, I did some college time, and I did some Bible college, and, and uh, I, I managed to squeeze four years into 27 to get my bachelor's degree. But in all those, uh, sister, I failed the mind-reading course. I didn't do very good in that class. All right, we're not mind readers. Men are not mind readers. Someday I'll, I'll show you that. Man, a woman's brain is just like a ball of yarn. It's all connected, all wrapped up, all touching, all, all like that. And a man, his brain looks like the head of a mop. It's just all straight lines. They don't touch at all. We just have a one-track mind. This is what we just handle one thing at a time. And so I didn't pass that class. And we don't always get it right. And we don't always see the unseeable, that we're not always good at perceiving things. You ought to know that by now. But what we need to do, though, men, is we need to make sure that we're right with our spouse. The Bible says it'll hinder our prayers if we're not. You don't want your prayers to be hindered, do you? If you're like me, you need your prayers answered. Amen? I need my prayers answered. And God says this is true holiness. Not to let that hasty words or a hasty spirit get in the way of your relationship in this direction. You can't let your reputation mean more than your relationship with him and with others. So I, I've got a little self-test for you this morning and I'm going to be done. I just want to, I, I want to see if you can do this. I, I want, just want you to say with me now. Say, I was wrong. I want you to repeat after me. I want you to say that now. Come on, man. Uh, oh, you can do better than that. I mean, good night. Man, you can do better than that, can't you? I mean, I'm the one in front of the mic, you know. I was wrong. Oh, okay. 
All right, I'll let you go. That was good. That was that was better. Okay, and uh, and I'm not here to embarrass you, but I just want to see, man. You know what? You can say it. Those words can be formed in your mouth. I was wrong. And the other one is, I'm sorry. Don't nod your head. I'm sorry. Yeah. That just, that just works on us as men. But beloved, we've got to do that. Don't give the enemy. That's why it says give no place to the devil. To do what? To come between you. He loves it like that. He loves that. You know what? A, a huge oak. You just take a little wedge and you just tap it every now and then. You don't have to hit it all the time. Just tap it. Tap it. Tap it, go back to it, just once a day, twice a day, and eventually you'll split that log by tapping on that thing. And as long as you go without addressing that thing that's got in the way, you're giving him a place. Don't give him a place in your life. Let's don't give him a place in the church. Amen. Don't let that happen, beloved. We've got to, you know, if... if if something's not right, we need to make it right. Because God blesses unity. I was reading that, uh, looking to read it this week, Psalm 133. I go through the Psalms and, and it says, How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. And what was it like? It was like the dew that came down Hermon and came down onto Aaron's skirts. What's that? You know, to me, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. That we're unified. I don't care if it's just two of us. That we're operating in unity. God could bless that and help us. It really is the true holiness that we need to focus on. Man, focus on being a, a child of truth. A child of God that loves the truth. Loves the truth. And then temper. Temper. Ask God to help you with it. Ask him to give you grace, to give you power, strength. Because you know what? He's taken care of the, if you will, he has taken care of the power of canceled sin. When you got saved, he gave you that ability. It's there. We just have to yield ourselves. That's our part. That's our part. Amen? True holiness. We'll finish the rest, Lord willing, tonight. True holiness. Let's stand.